Hello everyone, this is Sam from the Casual Watch Review channel. I am experimenting with doing a podcast, which I think I'm going to stick with the name of Casual Watch Talk. So this will be the first episode of Casual Watch Talk. If you're not familiar with me and my YouTube channel, I run a watch review YouTube channel called The Casual Watch Reviewer. Not only do I review all types of watches from luxury right through to affordable pieces, but I also do a lot of interviews with some very interesting people to do with the watch business. So I've interviewed strap makers, uh, watch repairers, vintage watch restorers, a whole host of people. And that content tends to be much longer form. Uh, and I struggle to get the YouTube videos sometimes less than 20 minutes because um, uh, you, on YouTube, you tend to find that people watch a lot. Uh, they won't watch one that's over 20 minutes. So I struggle because there's a lot of great content in there. So I had a couple of uh, viewers and people suggest to me, why don't I do a podcast? So this is a very long intro to that, but this is going to be our experiment for the first casual watch reviewer podcast. Now, I'm joined today for the inaugural uh, Watch Talk episode by the channel's resident Omega specialist, who is Sean. So thank you so much for joining me, Sean. Thanks for having me, Sam. Thank you so much for joining me on my, my first one on this, this embarking on this brave new uh, venture here. It, what's important as well with this new one is if you guys let me know what you think of this, I'm going to upload it to YouTube, but also I will be trying to upload it to your favorite podcasting app, whether that be iTunes. I'm just trying to work out the logistics of that. So let me know in the comments section uh, down below what you think of it. If you've got any suggestions, if you want to come on the podcast, by all means, uh, you're more than welcome. So I wanted to kick off this week by uh, a, a very relevant topic. I wanted to discuss the, well, the 50th anniversary of Apollo 11, the moon landings. So on October, or I'm sorry, on July the 21st of 1969, so July the 21st is coming up very soon. Obviously, as we all know, Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin uh, stepped off the eagle to become the first humans to stand on another world or the moon. Now, Amiga, uh, as well as other brands, have been doing a uh, commemorative editions and we know what Amiga's like any excuse to do a limited edition they're, they're there but they obviously were pivotal in that early spacewalk so they've introduced 50th anniversary and they've really gone all out on this version it's a limited edition of uh, 69 69 pieces um, a few little sniggers there when uh, when I read that one and then on the back, it has a very ornate case back with the initial footprint on there. Uh, we've got the uh, the, uh, the footprint laser engraved on there. It's, it's gold plated. And of course, it has a laser engraving of Buzz Aldrin on the dial. Now, I'm sure you guys know this, but anybody who doesn't know this, the reason that Buzz is on there and not Neil Armstrong is that Neil Armstrong wasn't the first person to wear an Omega on the moon. In fact, his uh, had some technical difficulties. So I wanted to kick off today discussing about that, but I'd love uh, love it, Sean, if you could kind of just tell us a bit about this edition and why it stands out amongst 
some of the other um, limited editions that you think Amiga's been doing recently? Um, as we know that it's the 50th anniversary of this event, so the, as expected, Omega had to include some elements of gold. And we saw the first uh, release of the all gold, moonshine gold uh, watch, which was, I think, is a very, very good looking watch. Uh, the one with the red bezel, all gold, and then in the back had a display case back, as well as like, I think it was a meteorite in the back to represent the moon. I think that was a really good representation of a 50th anniversary Apollo 11 watch. Um, but for this stainless steel two-tone one, which also has moonshine gold, um, you know, it's we have elements of that gold to represent the 50th anniversary, but we also have a lot of other things like uh, the vintage Omega logo. Uh, we have a step dial, and we also have that D-O-N, that dot over 90 bezel, which is some of the things that collectors really look for in those vintage Omega Speedmasters. What is the relevance of the moonshine gold? Is it, because I know Rolex kind of smelt their own type of gold. Is this what Amiga's doing here? Is it a, is it a composite, a gold composite or? Yeah. Yeah. So moonshine gold is their, I guess, their way of creating a gold that will never tarnish. Um, from what I've read is this gold will stay that color for a very long time. So it won't, um, I guess it won't change color. They won't, um, I guess, patina over the years. Um, so it'll always look that way. Um, and you'll see like other vintage gold watches. They might appear darker um, just because they patina over the years. But this moonshine gold will um, technically look the same as if it was released uh, yesterday, 20 years down the road. I guess uh, the equivalent of that is the uh, tritium markers. Uh, we don't use them anymore because, you know, they tarnish, they patina, but now we have our super luminova that will technically stay the same um, throughout the years. Right. Okay. So they're kind of, they're creating a, a vintage inspired watch, but it's almost like a time capsule by the materials that they've used. It, it will always, in theory, look the same. I, I hadn't realized that about the the gold. I wonder, it'd be quite interesting to know what they what they mix that gold with to have it you know, kind of internally. And you're saying that the gold one that they previously released, the, the entire thing was, the entire case and bracelet were made of this moonshine gold. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it will have that heft of gold. Um, but I guess the properties... It'll still be gold for the most part. It's just that whatever they mixed it in with will keep it that same uh, same color, that same luster. Right. Okay. Well, that's really interesting. And what can you, the the box as well is unique as well, isn't it? For this particular model, it doesn't come in like a standard Amiga, uh, the Amiga kind of suitcase, the black suitcase box. Yeah, yeah, that one, I think it's ceramic, uh, ceramic uh, outside. So it's to mimic the packaging that they had for these watches in 1969. It's like a little 
box with a crater, like I guess the the moon around it. Um, it it's a nice little touch. I'm, I'm sure that the majority of that money wasn't spent on packaging, more so the watch itself and the movement. But it's a nice little throwback to the original packaging that uh, the Speedmasters came in. Yeah, and the bracelet as well is i've never seen a a a speedmaster with that bracelet is this is that totally new for for this version or or is that a vintage inspired bracelet yeah the the gold one um i believe that matches with the that specific speedmaster just because those were only given to the astronauts and of course, President Nixon, who rejected it later. Um, but I think that bracelet is specific, or at least that style is specific to that watch itself. Um, as with the two-tone one that got released uh, recently or announced recently, um, that bracelet was specific to that um, era with, you know, around 1969. So you'll have those um, flat-length bracelets um, as well as that vintage clasp. Um, but, you know, it's modern day, so it's not as tinny or as a weak feeling, I guess, uh, compared to the ones we have now. Yeah, because that one, the, um, the the steel version looks like one of those, um, I forget the name of the the brand, but those sort of, not like elasticated, they were kind of like metal. Um, I forget I forget the name. I used to, used to, you see them a lot on vintage watches. So with this, the 50th anniversary, the steel one, it has a Velcro, it has a Velcro strap with it, but it's not like the longer kind of simplified one that they normally do. It has like cork on it. Is that, I guess that's to make it look like it's aged Velcro or, or I mean, they never used cork as the, the strap for the, on the moon landing. No, I think, um, the inspiration behind that was the thrusters to the Saturn V rockets use cork as like an insulation, I think. So that's why you have that tile-looking uh, design to it, but also those cracks. I think that was the inspiration behind it. Um, I don't think they actually used it specifically um, on the watch straps itself, I think that was just a regular Velcro strap, I guess, simple and effective. But this black-coated cork that they're using is more so um, the technology they use um, on the mission uh, compared to, you know, what they actually used on the mission. Oh, that's really interesting. So they were cork tiles for um, to protect against heat for like landing or re-entry or something oh that's a nice um that's a really interesting they, they've they've seemed to have gone to like incredible uh attention to detail i mean as you'd expect for if if i did i didn't mention this at the start but this watch is limited edition uh it's coming in around well it's just under ten thousand us dollars i suppose with the tax but it's uh nine thousand six hundred and fifty for for a steel speedmaster is that it do you think that's the most expensive steel speedmaster they've ever made then i i would say so um just because i think a lot goes into it um you know our standard 
steel Speedmaster will cost maybe five, six thousand dollars, maybe less depending on where you get it. Um, but for this, we have to consider that there are, there is that new gold that they're um, using, the moonshine gold. Uh, you also have, I think the bezel is ceramic, I believe. Uh, I have to double check that. But also, it is, yeah. So yeah, you have that, and those are those are pretty much the the fancy materials that they're using. But we also have that new movement, the the master chronometer uh, three eight six one, which is probably even more robust than the 1861 or maybe the 321 for that matter yeah so uh, again uh, this was one of the questions i was going to ask you is the 321 was the movement in that watch originally and there was rumors that this that, that that it might was this the watch where it was rumored that it might have this 321 or is that going to be a separate speedmaster altogether i think there was a a transition phase between watches um i think that it did have a 321 but i guess to keep in mind that they were issued a few speedmasters i don't think they were issued just one so it could be that you know it might have had the 861 or maybe the 320 but i, I do believe it's the 321 so, because they, they, they announced, didn't they, that they were going to re-release this movement? Was this the mm-hmm. watch that we thought it might be in, or is, or do you think that's going to be a different special edition altogether? Uh, well, I think everyone was hoping it would have been released in this one. It, it would have made sense, uh, given the 50th anniversary, and people were really hoping um, it would have been released in these especially the gold one, you know, it's one of that precious metals that we were, I guess, expecting that higher upcharge for, uh, and they would have expected a, the new new 321 movement. Um, but I, I think they are planning on another Speedmaster with the 321. Um, but also, we, we have this $9,650 um, charge for the two-tone stainless steel with that new movement. I can only imagine if they replicated the 321 and put it into this two-tone or even the gold one, we would have been paying much more. Um, maybe maybe in the five digits because from what I've heard is the 321 is it's like a very limited reproduction and there's only so many people who work on it. Uh, it's not like an assembly line. It's more of like people in a room um, working on the movement the whole day. Oh, similar to like Grand Seiko or something like that, where they have a specialist yeah. artisan that's kind of illustrious works on that. That's really interesting. Well, it, I mean, it's whatever it, it it's going to be, it's going to look awesome. I had an interesting comment, and this isn't. This is going to cause cause um call for a lot of speculation on our behalf. I had an interesting comment on one of my videos, which was we were talking uh, about the the Amiga. In fact, we talk about the James Bond in the video and somebody mentioned about the Moonwatch. And then there's this whole conspiracy theory, which, of course, I don't subscribe to, but I, I might as well give it a nod, is that 
did was the moon landing kind of staged or was part of it staged or so on so there's this whole conspiracy theory that's been going on for a for a long time uh i'm a firm believer for the record that uh, the moon landings definitely did happen but the the commenter raised a very interesting question about if omega hadn't been involved in that early moon landings or you know somehow it, it found out that it was some kind of um you know it's conspiracy all along would amiga still be around if they didn't have that association with nasa would the speedmaster still be a popular model when it was a racing watch as far as i know it never it wasn't there wasn't a particular racing driver that it was ever particularly associated with like a famous racing driver uh, you know, perhaps like the Paul Newman is, or, uh, you know, you could argue, you, you know, uh, Paul Newman was a famous race driver or not. Um, Steve McQueen, who certainly played a famous race driver, he's obviously associated with TAG, even though he was more often seen with Hanhart models. I know this is this is probably going to, uh, a bit of debate on the, our, our behalf here, but what do, what do you think on that? Do you think Omega would still be around if it didn't have that space association do you think the speedmaster in particular would still exist i i think it would um just because we we already know that omega can create limited editions out of practically any watch in their catalog um but just to harken back to that you mentioned racing watches um i know that michael schumacher had those automatic lines right um but those are just automatics. Uh, we some collectors don't necessarily consider them within the Speedmasters. Like you know, they segregate them between the Speedmaster Pro and the Speedmaster Automatics. But for the pros, at least, I think it still would uh, exist, just because we we know there are several models that aren't moon related. I think the most recent. Uh, limited editions are moon inspired nasa inspired but we also have those racing watches um with the racing dials those checkered racing dials um we also had the ultraman that got um released recently uh, that i, I guess we wouldn't consider that a space watch just because it was inspired by a japanese tv show uh, but i think i think it wouldn't I don't think um, the Speedmaster would be as popular um, because not many of us are into racing to even want to get a racing watch. Like, I wouldn't get a Tag Heuer just because I don't watch racing or I don't, I'm not into racing. One of the main reasons I did get a Speedmaster because I was into space. But I guess their sales wouldn't be as... Um, large um but you know they have other watches to, to yeah, sell for that yeah it's interesting to think about isn't it because the moon landings uh that you know 1969 made the speedmaster arguably made it you know worldwide famous and then of course you know the 70s was that just absolute carnage in terms of the the quartz crisis you know, mm-hmm. brands small and large being 
decimated. I mean, you could argue that the the American watch making almost died. I mean, they were a you know they were a huge player. If you think of the U.S. brands that died at that time, Hamilton notably notably on there. You know, even Swiss brands, Universal, Geneve, and and so on. You wonder whether they would have weathered the storm if they hadn't had this moon watch. But having said that. By that time, the Seamaster was a a very popular line. You know, the Seamaster, arguably, you know, a, a dress watch that was, you know, marine capable to rival, probably was one of the main rivals to the Rolex kind of oyster case at the time. So, yeah, it, it, it's a very, it's very interesting uh, comment on that. And if anybody else has got an idea on that, leave it in the uh, comments section down below. It's, it let us know what you think, whether you think Amiga would still be around if they hadn't necessarily had that moon or that NASA association with it. And then, of course, it's it's rightful to say before we finish off this little segment around the moon watch that we've seen noticeable watches go to auction. We've seen Paul Newman's Rolex Daytona just explode at $17 million. We've seen watches from Elvis. We've seen even watches from Colonel Sanders that have gone uh, for KFC fame go to auction. But the true holy grail for Amiga fans, forget the Paul Newman, forget, uh, you know, Elvis's uh, watches or, you know, the Amigas he had, the true holy grail. And who knows what the value of that would be? I mean, it still must be US government property, but Buzz Aldrin's watch that I believe was lost when he posted it back because of all those... We think of the the those guys being able to keep their stuff, but they were government employees. They were, you know, I think they were Air Force, weren't they? Everything they mm-hmm. owned was basically government issued property. So unfortunately, they probably they had to hand everything back at the end of their space mission. Thank you for risking your life, but can you give us what back? <laughs> okay, so uh, let us know in the comment section down below uh, what you guys think of these stories. A couple of things just to wrap up here. First of all, I I thought we'd do a little section about what is our watch obsession for this week. And mine has been, I've just received it in the post today, is a Christopher Ward watch. Uh, I've never had a Christopher Ward watch before, which is weird because, you know, obviously I'm from the UK. Uh, It seems to be pretty cool. I got a Christopher Ward C65, so I've just filmed the unboxing. So that's kind of been a bit of a watch obsession for me. Sean, what's, uh, have you had a watch obsession this week? Or have we already been talking about it? Uh, oh, surprisingly, uh, the 50th uh, stainless two-tone Apollo 11 isn't what I've been thinking about this whole week. Uh-huh. Um, what I have been thinking about was also announced during that swatch time to move, which is the Diver 300 meter, which is the white dial with the black bezel. Uh I think that would match perfectly with my Alaska project. And I think before then, I really liked the silver dial that they released. But I feel like this one might be the one. (laughs) Yeah, that's the first time when you sent me that picture. That's the first time I'd seen this. So for anyone that's not familiar with this, this is one of the new Seamaster 300s. The line made famous by James Bond, I suppose. And uh, it's just had a, a fantastic fresh. Uh, it was a watch that never appealed to me before, um, but this new 
fresh with that like ceramic dial just looks awesome and they've they they had the gray version a, a black dial a, a blue version but they've come out with a white mm-hmm. version I, I agree with you is it are the hands gray on it the hands uh they're actually black oh, wow yeah the hands are black i think they're, they might be coated in uh maybe ceramic coating or but it is black so it, it does p- present a nice contrast um so it's really really legible yeah and the only one i can think of that was similar was that commander bond but i think you'd have to be really into james bond that was a very specific james bond limited edition wasn't it that was it called the commander bond or yeah yeah that had a that had like the white dial the red and blue bezel that was that was pretty that was a pretty wild one um I saw it in person uh, for the price. It came with a NATO and a bracelet. And I think it was a good value. It's just, you know, the colors, like, would you wear this outside every day? Or is it very specific to a certain outfit or a collection? Yeah, I agree. Okay, guys. Well, that was the end of the show. Before we finish off two things, I thought we'd try and finish each watch episode with a joke. So, uh, and and honestly, there's slim pickings for watch-related jokes. Uh, I found one that's to do with alarm clock. So here we go. Uh, I used to have a friend who kept changing the sound that his alarm clock made. I wonder what he's getting up to now. (laughs) I had to laugh at my own joke there. (laughs) That was pretty bad. Uh, And then terrible. Yeah, and then, of course... Big thanks to this show's sponsor, which is you guys that are listening to this. You are helping this podcast by listening. If you've listened all the way to the end, thank you very much. Uh, Let us know what you think. If you like this kind of format from me, uh, I'll still be doing the YouTube stuff. A big thanks to uh, Sean. Thank you so much for joining me uh, on this uh, inaugural episode. Uh, Thank you. Thanks for listening, guys. And hopefully see you next time on the Casual Watch YouTube channel or the Casual Watch Talk podcast. Thanks, guys. Bye.